everyone did. I'm they sure didn't even oh just cross over. They had a shadow pilot. Really? Yeah, uh, it was an episode of um, the only reason why they introduced the lone gunman in X-Files was to set up the Millennium TV show. Wow. It's a pretty common tactic in television. You have a shadow pilot, which is you introduce all the characters and the premise of a new show inside of a show people are already watching. And then you scare quotes, spin it off. But it was like. It wasn't a spinoff. They were just like, how do we launch this? They're like, put it inside of another show. Oh. I, I remember on the first episode of Millennium, um, the, there was a white zombie song. And I That's thought that tight. was a cool. That I thought, yeah, it was more human than human off Astro Creep 2000. Probably the best oh, yeah. song. And Definitely. I thought that was the coolest thing I'd ever seen because there was also like serial killers. It was playing in a strip club. And like 10 year old me was like, holy shit. You're <laughs> losing your fucking cool. Uh, yeah, I, I lost my shit completely at that. That was the most amazing thing I'd ever seen at that point. still bad cameras broken brexit still bad um yeah oh yeah i heard you're gonna be brexiting soon yeah we've just got another couple of months till to we to we do a brexit um and there's nothing we can do to stop it the protests against it have been incredibly lackluster maybe thirty thousand people across the entire country um all waving flags to countries that aren't britain so great optics there for the white wing crowd um yeah, just we're just really, really shitting our pants and just, yeah, just form a part of the country here. So um got that to look forward good. to for our, our Halloween episode. <laughs> It'll be really cool when Britain entirely collapses and then America can colonize Britain. No, Frankly, that's not good. Yeah, that that was like the worst case scenario. Well, I say that bad things are good as a coping mechanism. Okay, right. I, I feel it. See, if I can't Maybe. stop them, then if I code my brain to think they're good, then there's no problem, and there's no need to be worried. Hmm. That's the <laughs> this is fine dog tactic. Yeah, you should like um, make some sort of uh, internet cartoon about that. Yeah. Uh, as you, you may have guessed... Uh, we got a guest with us. Uh, her name is Bryn. She is off the Hi. podcast Beep Beep Lettuce, which I've been told is a, is a slang for, for the, for the, mar yeah, for the <laughs> marijuana. Yeah, um, don't, tell, don't tell anybody that, though. We don't want to yeah, get in trouble. Because it's kind of illegal. Um, <laughs> and she's in a cool band called Stay Inside. Right who have just been on tour and we're going to play them a little later because uh, they're kind of screamo and I really like screamo music. Hell screamo yeah. is really tight. 
yeah, Scream is incredible. And or you know, and um, Sissy Core is even better than Screamo. And, and this uh, song was very much in. Uh, well, I'll tell you later. <laughs> but, oh no, go yeah. ahead. Go definitely go ahead. Oh no, I was just gonna say that that this song was very much written to be sort of a Blood Brothers homage. Nice. So that sissy yeah, core kind of shit. Yeah, Blood Brothers are, are very very good. I like mm -hmm. those guys. Me too. I think literally everyone likes Blood Brothers. <laughs> you would be surprised. <laughs> Yeah, I bet like some like gross, weird metal guys don't like Bro Blood Brothers at all. I bet they get right. really pissed off at the existence of Blood Brothers mm -hmm. because they suck. Um, so, Bryn, tell us about Beat Beat Bletus. Oh, well, Beat Beat Bletus is a comedy political weed meme show. <laughs> um, we sort of just talk about the news of the day um, with a very sort of far left angle and try and be chill and make jokes about the horrors of the world and encourage people to you know get involved with organizing and leftist politics and all that kind of stuff cool yeah yeah i i was reluctant to start listening to it at first because i thought okay this is a chapo ripoff there's a bunch of people in brooklyn <laughs> talking about politics and left stuff <laughs> You know, we don't need that. But then I saw, then I, I gave it a chance. And this is like yeah. my like mea culpa. I, I was, I oh. judged you m much too harshly. And it's I actually feel like... a cool show. So, you know, <laughs> I feel I'm, like people I'm sorry. Do judge us because the name is so stupid? No, no. I, um, I thought the name was adequately stupid. Right. But. And we are we are much more we are much less interested in electoral politics than Chapo. We yeah, cover exactly. very very different kind of beat than Chapo. Um, and you know, uh, we 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 we've had Chris Wade on and Matt on, where we like those guys. No mm -hmm. no shade to them, but we are we are a different type of show. We talk about if if we talk about anything insufferable, it is um, <laughs> like online Twitter kind of leftism and why that is less important than you think and more important than you think <laughs> yeah yeah like i say I, I i'm i'm into it now i i got over my initial misjudgment and i'm now on fully on board oh, i'm glad you like it yeah i'm glad you're making it and it started out in like a facebook group yeah we 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 were all facebook meme people weird facebook people um and we we have we had a very successful few meme pages and we decided i mean i knew three of the people in real life um one of them was just from weird weird facebook so we were already arguing about politics and stuff and so we were like we should make a fun show since we already have this kind of thing going on no one ara my dog is upset about something Probably about my podcast also the cat was meowing at the door oh yeah i heard that yeah so could be haunting um could, could be. just be all this facebook talk that's true Animals don't like it yeah um, weird facebook is kind of fun sorry hmm. yeah <laughs> I, I kind of went away from facebook for a very long time 
because I got, I got in like really early and this isn't like some sort of flex because getting into Facebook early is like getting into going to target early. Right. It's not anything to be, because I went to American university for a while and it was one of the first like 20 or so to get Facebook after it came out of Yale. Oh, weird. And yeah. It, it was a, like early Facebook when it was the Facebook was the weirdest place. <laughs> everyone was on there and people would like go to each other's profiles and like browse them and like strangers would come up to me and tell me i'd said something really funny on facebook the other day mm. it was creepy yeah kind yeah of, i remember kind of when good. i was <laughs> when i was first in college it was um you still had to be in college to have a facebook yeah same. Um, and and there was like a weird thing where people would like make groups and like have weird arguments in real life over whether like i don't know like milk chocolate was better than dark chocolate and it was like a thing that leaked into your real life it was very strange hmm. yeah and you know facebook has leaked into real life as well because we had that huge massacre in thailand i think right and uh multiple stolen elections including brexit so um mm -hmm. yeah, facebook has just continued to be very much part of our lives really just paying dividends by making um <laughs> making life bad in new ways i think again boomers right. <laughs> are very quick to say that it, it has made life worse and that's because they really undervalue how bad being alive has always been um we're just it's just bad now in a whole new, exciting way. Mm. It's very fast. Like, yeah, bad stuff can happen very quickly. That reminds me of and one that's of my more favorite exciting. books in the movie, right? So, Frankly, if I'm going to suffer, I'd like to suffer at a very like high rate of suffering. So it's like new very bad suffering every day, as opposed to like the same. Like if you were a serf in like the 12th century you're just mm -hmm. a surf for you know 30 years if you're lucky um and then you're gonna trip into a hole and you're gonna break your leg and no one's gonna be able to get you out of the hole and you're gonna starve in that hole and then you're gonna get covered in mud um mm -hmm. that's the life of a surf it's the same shitty thing for like 30 years um meanwhile now it's new and exciting shitty and some people are like I'm above the shitty because I deleted social media from my phone. And I'm like, you're a fucking coward. You aren't brave enough to live in the shit world. Have you ever Why don't read... you go live on a mountain, Buddha? <laughs> <laughs> have you ever read Diary by Chuck Polinick? I have not. I have... Which one was Diary? I, 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 I went through like a big Polinick uh, spree as a teen. So... Um... Diary is the one about the artist woman who lives on a weird island. Um, and it's I've not it's read that one. It's one of the more like oneric and strange ones. But uh, there's a character in that who like near the end of the book, you find out the button he's been wearing is like he always he doesn't poke it through his shirt. He pokes it through his skin so he can feel like a new pain every day. <laughs> That is, that's very Chuck Palahniuk. Yeah, yeah. And that reminds like, hey, me this of book's not your... that bad. And then you turn the page, and you're like, no, there it is, though. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
We should do a, a Paul Nick episode at some point because I want to. I want to reckon with his legacy. A man who gets older age-wise, but not brain-wise. Brain-wise, he is 17 and loving it. Maybe 19 some days. Hmm. I think yeah, he has some very good his, books. His new one sounded probably even more juvenile than like Fight Club 2. Um, and he did he, make a Fight Club 2. It's worth noting he literally made a Fight Club 2. But it's a comic, Released it as right? a, yeah. Hmm. And insanely pretty art. Um, yeah. You got a really good set of artists for the uh, the covers and uh, internals. But yeah, end of the day, it's still Fight Club 2, and that's weird. Like, <laughs> why? I'm okay with it if it's good. I haven't read it. <laughs> it's not going to be good. I mean, come he on. Was like, I've asked myself, what can I deliver to this world? And the answer certainly is Fight Club 2. Fight harder. <laughs> yeah, live, uh, live free and fight club. Um, <laughs> right. So we're going to kind of talk about probably someone that Chuck Polonick would cite as an influence because yeah. everyone in the world cites this guy as an influence. Yeah. Very and they should. It's Philip K. Dick. I mean, we've already talked about Phil Dick on the show pretty a dozen times now. And We're adult I, men who read weird fiction. We're required to say Philip K. Dick's name even just under our breath at least once a day. I'm yeah. not an adult man, by the way. <laughs> no, no, he, he, he I'm a friend to the two of us. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Langley's been on a um, misgendering spree at the moment. It's uh, look. I'm referring just to me and Carol. I should be more specific. We're going to call um, Philip K. Dick uh, she, her pronouns the entire time <laughs> just because we're on a misgendering spree. <laughs> we should do that. Yeah. Um, let's, uh, okay, so Bryn picked this one out. It's called Ubik. Uh, probably like one of his most famous ones, uh, along with like Scanner Darkly, which is my favorite. Um, this, that's your uh, favorite one yeah easily by a long way interesting I think that's that's his his one that like <coughs> is like on par with like really good literary fiction because it okay. was like super personal to him um it had a lot of cool spacey ideas yeah but it was like it was about like him and his friends being a bunch of druggy wasteoids did you like and, the movie oh yeah yeah, the movie was baller. The movie was incredible. Like I loved it. Yeah, so good. I haven't seen it probably like five six years. I should probably give that one another whirl. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and also Keanu's best performance. No one like recognizes that, but it actually it's Keanu Reeves doing some putting in a good uh, performance. Yeah, are you forgetting about Point Break? Oh, oh, oh Point Break jokes. Whoa, it's <laughs> not a Damn. joke. <laughs> I love that movie. Are we online right now? <laughs> Again, on Reddit in 2007. Dunked. Um, I'm a Valis boy. Or uh, The Divine Invasion. I like that whole trilogy. Oh, you like the weird uh, Valis trilogy? Yeah, yeah, where he went absolutely cockeyed crazy 
and only wrote the insane Gnostic shit that I crave. I crave Gnosticism. At every moment, I need more <laughs> newer Gnosticism injected right into my body. That's why I keep listening to Neofolk, even though, you know, it's Neofolk. Mm, yeah. Uh, it's you're the, a the most Nazi of all genres. I'm yeah. like, they're going to give me the Gnosticism. And then they're like, this song is called Swastikas for Hitler. And I'm like, son of a fuck. <laughs> no one wants this part. Why do you keep doing it? Because they're literal Nazis. They're like, our Plus, band name yeah. is Hitler, Hitler. <laughs> Hitler twice. I, I find that whole scene to be really interesting now that there are like, open nazis in congress and stuff like they haven't really i feel like they're just like oh wait uh we can't do this ironically so we either need to commit <laughs> or say it was all a joke for real mm. but they haven't really done that either i feel like <laughs> most of them no, like they're just like hoping that people who listen to neofolk haven't heard of mainstream politics <laughs> yeah which is to to be fair. I mean, if you if you've ever met a neo folk guy, they they stay pretty far outside the mainstream, and for good reason. Yeah, I don't, I don't think they're... the mainstream would be enhanced by the presence of neo folk. I saw um, Death in June live, like in twenty fifteen. <laughs> Shit, cancelled. But uh... yeah, it was really weird. Was that? Were they like on a bill, or were you like, yeah? Today is the day that I go see Death in June. <laughs> I would be googling what that name means. No, I knew what they were. I wanted to see what the scene was like, like if it was really as fascist as I thought it was. Uh, were you disappointed or, or pointed by? It was more fascism? fascist than I thought it was. <laughs> <laughs> I was that's, very surprised. Yeah. That's saying something. Hmm. For like a Death in June concert being more fascist than a Death in June concert is likely to be. That's well, yeah. I mean, I knew that they were like, because I like I found Non and you know Boyd Rice shit, and like after I got into like Coil in college, and I was like, this is kind of cool. I like Heaven Street or whatever. It's fine. Like I was never a huge fan, but I thought it was fine. I like just thought of it as the same kind of aesthetic as the rest of it and then like as i read history i was like oh these people are fascists and then mm. i was like maybe they're joking and then i was like i can't really tell and then i went and saw them just kind of on a lark and i was like oh no they're fascists mm. <laughs> really <laughs> hardcore <laughs> it's crazy yeah I, I was super into all that stuff for a little while and like power electronics and like yeah like white house like yeah, trying to love. pass if they if they are sincere or not. No, they're sincere. They're they're Nazi pedophiles. I'm sure they're yeah. rapists, but like I still love their music. <laughs> yeah, it's it's loud. It goes bang, 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 bang. Yeah, yeah, that's all um, I want. I mean, beauty you can just... is a modern. Oh, you go on. I was just gonna say, like, living in Brooklyn is great because I can go see like non-fascists do that music. Like nowadays, like PharmaCon exists, and you know, oh, it's pretty yeah. easy. PharmaCon is so goddamn good. Mm. Or, uh, oh, and Gareth, PharmaCon just dropped a new record. We can, I, yeah, I've, I've, yeah, I've heard a, a bit of that as well. We should probably do like a like a roundup of all the records we've like meant to come on the show, but um, <laughs> never really got around to. 
Yeah. Like sometimes like nothing good comes out, and other times, like nine good albums come out in one week, and we're like, "Fuck." Yeah, I know, right? And and that's it's been that week. Like, yeah. We were supposed to play. Uh, so, apology to listeners. We were supposed to play Sacred Sun on the last episode. We kind of talked through it. Uh, I want to play Witch from it. Uh, Meth is really good. Uh, yeah, Pharmacon is really good. And The Body have a remix album out. Um, and I know, like, we play The Body every second episode anyway, but. Um, it's because they're good. Like, that's. It's yeah. not our fault that they keep putting out good, cool music. That's. We can only respond to that. Yeah, I even I write for a bunch of places and I like if some weeks it's like I literally can't finish work fast enough to get through all of it. Or I'm like, hmm, records that I'd be interested in uh, writing uh, critiques of. Uh, 11. Yeah, oh, someone's new, like new chemists. Uh, yeah, uh, there's two, it's been that week. It's been. It's been the like hell week for for music. Oh, um, good news! Um, that reminds me, uh, Dysrhythmia officially left Profound Lore. Oh yeah, we're not doing the call out episode today, okay? Okay, Wait, I'm just saying. Is, is Profound Lore bad now? Whoa, 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 whoa! Okay, we're not doing the call out episode today. <laughs> okay, we we can't. Okay, edit, edit, uh, Mark to edit all of this. <laughs> we're not we're not getting into that uh into those thickets just yet well that's fair one of the guitarists from dysrhythmia recorded uh an album with me so i'm curious <laughs> that's cool that's really cool yeah and, yeah and no we we have nothing against anyone for anything everyone was it uh was it kevin who recorded with you or was it colin it was colin Call, call Hell yeah! My, uh, why don't you have like a T-shirt on twenty-four-seven saying I recorded with Colin Marston? <laughs> uh, I mean, I put it on my Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to stalk your Instagram to find out whether you recorded <laughs> with one of the best metal musicians in the world right now. I know he 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 recorded my um my the first album of my other band. You don't know a band. See, I, I I don't know this stuff. You can't just put it on Instagram. <laughs> well, it's hard <laughs> to promote your own music. Okay, well, you know, if you need a uh, PR guy, I'm I'll willing to sign to up for that because, you know. <laughs> uh, but, um, okay, we, we, we were allegedly talking about Ubik at some point. Um, <laughs> oh, let, let, in fact, um, let's, let's say... We, we talk about you in the second half of the episode. Because, <laughs> okay. Um, that's we're, that's we're fair. About, we're about at the halfway. So we're going to play, uh, yeah, we're going to play Have a Nice Life. Because Have a Nice Life, oh, I've accidentally played it. Uh, Have a Nice Life are fucking amazing. Everything that comes out on the Flenza is just incredible. It's gold. Everything so is a, a, a gift to us. Um, their previous two albums are just like, so varied and so out there and you can tell they were just like fooling around having fun but they're also incredible musicians who can like pull off this like crazy genreless incredible noise um so yeah they've printed out an album called sea of worry it's gonna be on the flenza because of course uh they've got some really nice t-shirts 
don't normally talk about merch, but um, their, their merch game is good. I have multiple Funzer shirts, yeah. They are very on point with their, their merch. Like long, long sleeves with words on the arms, uh, kind of <laughs> 2018 and 19's like merch figure of choice. Oh. Uh, I think Power Trip did an orange one with like their disgusting album art and like it said Power Trip on the arms and it was bright orange. And, and I, I was feeling that. Uh, so this is going to be the title track and first track of Sea of Worry. Comes out in uh, November 8th and it's incredible. And here it is.
was have a nice life and i feel all our lives are a little nicer because of the band have a nice life yeah it's a great song yeah like they have enhanced everyone's lives by making their beautiful beautiful music um and if you know the friends want to put that on the cover then you know dm me dm's always open have Um, you guys are you guys really into giles Corey? Yes. Mm-hmm. I love Giles Corey. I haven't seen Have a Nice Live, but I have seen Giles Corey. I'm a uh, I'm a huge fan of of both. Um, really, any of any of the guys' uh, work because he has a third group. De- Blackwing. Yes, Blackwing. Yeah, that's also great. Any mm. of Dan's stuff is great. So we are allegedly here to talk about Ubik, although we keep finding interesting things to talk about. Sorry. So... <laughs> no, we love to have fun here. Yeah. It's have, all about fun. have fun. Celebrating freedom. America. America 3.0. <laughs> we love fun. We like to have fun. Yeah. We're just free people. It's fun yeah. to be free. Free people, <laughs> is, yeah. free love. Okay, well, we're not going to go there quite yet, and there's uh, not for like any reasons. Just logistically, it would be a nightmare. Welcome to Polycast 2019. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone who uh, guests on the podcast is uh, enters into our polycule. That's right. It's hundred, it's hundred strong now. Many it's... great writers and podcasters and musicians, and it is vast globe spanning polycule now. <laughs> People, it's an enormous cuddle puddle. Yeah, we're, we're just gonna while the world ends, we're just gonna be this huge cuddle puddle, just blasting off our tits and ex- ecstasy. Yeah. The, yeah. the world's getting warmer. We're getting warmer because of all the ecstasy and cuddling we're doing, and it, it yeah. just kind of equalizes. Just doing drugs and listening to fucking like white suns. <laughs> yeah. We gotta put on. That like, reminds me, I have a I have a playlist on Spotify called uh, Psychic Violence. Which is nothing but White Suns albums. It is every White Suns album. And I keep thinking I should add other things to this, but I never do. Oh, I'll, 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 why should you? I'll give you some recommendations of things to add to that playlist after the show. Oh, I just realized that I have some Death Spell Omega on it still, so I need to take that off. Um, <laughs> Put out like some death in June and make you like problematic playlist, <laughs> just in case you're the last person on Earth and you can like listen to problematic music by yourself. So, so guys, okay, why we're did talking we about to... you, Vic. Yeah, why do we want to talk about? about... Uh, yeah, why do you want to talk about you, Vic? Because you you brought this up, so it's, did, it's down to yeah. you. <laughs> um. Yeah. So I think I was talking with. So I guess the I don't know why I was wanting to talk about this. I was um I've just really been into sci-fi for my whole life 
Um, <laughs> I think you guys talked to me about, you guys asked me like, what are some of the most like important books to you? Um, and some of my favorite stuff. Um, and Ubik was sort of in the middle between like the stuff that we would have just been unable to talk about because it was so, um, it's so dense and insane and obviously would be very difficult. Um, and like, uh, Dahlgren was one of like them. Dahlgren or Gravity's Rainbow or something like that. And I, like, uh, I, I hard pushed for Dahlgren. I was like, <laughs> holy shit. I love Dahlgren, but yeah, that's like Gareth a, a apparently had episode. not. Yeah. I was going to say, I, Gareth, have you read Dahlgren? Yeah. Like several times. Okay, good. Yeah. I've, I've read Dahlgren. Yeah. I was vaguely um, under the impression that you hadn't, and that part of the no. veto was like, "This book is huge." <laughs> I mean, well, it, I would be huge to read again. But yeah, sorry, go on. Yeah, I was saying that I'd want to read whatever we did again because uh, it's it's been a while. And then it was like, "Well, I'm not going to read Gravity's Rainbow a third time. It takes forever." Um, it does. It's a perfect book, but it's also an extremely fucking big book <laughs> and yeah. dense. I'll same issue with Dahlgren. And then like uh yeah, I kinda we kind of just landed on Ubik as like something with a lot to say. Um and one of my personal favorites, um, and was very important to my development and reading um mastery. It is I probably guess. his most um most immediately um pre Vallis uh slash pre-breakdown books right like um, there oh you go on no i was just gonna say it's quite it's to read it in high school is to like completely change your mind about everything you knew <laughs> you mm. know what i mean like it's like it 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 is a philosophy book for a high schooler um i think it really does fuck with you in a lot of ways and just asks you it demands that you ask questions about how you know anything um which i think is pretty strange to be confronted with as a teenager yeah and we sometimes even get presented with um so we're all of roughly the same age so we remember going through that period of the internet where it was not too long ago less less than a decade ago where everyone was obsessed with uh both uh, nihilism and existentialism uh, technically still yeah. still obsessed with that but on a much quieter end and we got to a point culturally where it almost felt um passe to bring those things up but it's sort of uh i think important to reground ourselves that they are less that they really sort of can't be rendered passe um very bad approaches or banal approaches can be rendered passe, but the fundamental question of um, grounding and ungrounding, groundedness and fundamental ungroundedness sort of remain these pesky, nagging philosophical bits. And you can run into very quickly some incredibly bad um, analytics of, say, philosophy or daily life or uh, even like regular practice of someone's done something shitty to me, how should I respond when you start removing those bits because you feel that they're troubling or boring. Um, and something like Philip K. Dick just forcefully reinserts them into your brain. Like it's hard not to read 
a book of his and be like, what? Fuck! What? Um, <laughs> and then have that, like, Sartorian response start working on you. of like, oh, well, yeah, I guess there is this ve perceptive veil that occludes um, me from the world and others from the world. And it, it starts unspooling. And you're like, oh, I'm being kind of a jackass, I think. <laughs> well, well I think it's interesting that you bring up the fact that like um there's been a sort of waxing and waning of the popularity of nihilism um and especially like post 2016 and like post the rise of fascism i think it's very true that like there was a certain sense of like well everyone says we have to do something now so we we can't be like like uh, pope punk remember that um yeah yeah from earlier this year that was that terrible that was earlier this thing. year jesus christ i know <laughs> it, feel, it feels like it happened last like a couple of centuries ago but yeah hope punk well i think we, that that's, i don't even know what that really is but i mean i think that there's a certain well no one does so you're in good company <laughs> <laughs> i think there was a certain there is a certain sense of like navel gazing about like the nature of life isn't as important because we all have to understand that we all have to understand we're enmeshed life is important and we need to save the peoples whose lives are deeply in danger um but at the same time you see nihilism creeping back up in things like posadism um these sort of like um ideological death cults hmm. Um, that yeah, like fo fo focus on estrusology and uh, like the end of the world and, you know, sort of embracing the idea that nothing matters. Um, but yeah, so we, I'm it, totally, it totally guilty of that, by the way. I think me and Langdon well, both are. But, um, I, yeah. I think, I think to be fair, we have, um, we have sort of a cultural misunderstanding of, what nihilism seems to be versus what it is. And this is one of the things that I like quite a bit about, um, about Philip K. Dick, um, uh, to draw it back to Ubik. So first, a brief synopsis of Ubik. Um, it's very hard to describe succinctly because he does a lot of these, like, in, in almost all of his books, he does these very tiny moves that totally recontextualize what you just read. And so... Attempting to to do um, a standard synopsis very quickly turns into you just describing the entire book. Um, right. So a very short it's version like would be uh, a traumatic time event happens, not dissimilar to what happens in Slaughterhouse-Five with the Trafalmagorians, only this time it's triggered by an indescribable object referred to as Ubik. And it's indescribable because it's polyphasic. Depending on when and where you are, Ubik is a different thing. And it always does the same metaphysical thing in that it ungrounds stuff. But how specifically it does that and what specifically happens to ungrounded things does not stay static. And right at the end of the book when you're thinking that it's going to land on something very concrete and a concrete ending. And if you're not a Philip K. Dick reader, this is where you believe that you're going to get a normal ending to a normal ass book, even normal by sci-fi standards. 
the fact that Philip K. Dick is equally in the surrealist and uh, psychedelic literature world as he is the sci-fi world rears its head where right at the moment you think, oh, it collapses time back to some event in 1939. And this is presumably like somewhat like Slaughterhouse-Five, which came out around the same time. Oh, it's about the trauma of World War II, and they're resolving back to... No, at the, at the last moment, you get this figure. Um, so uh, Runciter shows back up again and reveals... You didn't reveals who a, Runciter is? <laughs> uh, so uh, a guy, uh, that's all that matters, um, basically shows up and is like, oh, everything you thought about me and the nature of what's happening here is completely wrong, and uh, Ubik is the fundamental ungrounding of all reality, and then it ends in this extremely strange commercial for an object that uh, births universes and controls them. Hmm. So it's just this... also known as God. Yeah. Because, I mean, spoilers, Ubik is God, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, sure. It's just God manifested as this crass 1950s com consumer product. Well, it's so it's God, Maybe. but not necessarily in the lay reckoning of God. It's God more in a uh, like a Gnostic theological understanding of what is God. God is um, the space outside of the real that surrounds the real, like in a like Heideggerian sense. And Ubik is uh, the incursion of God into the world. Yeah, it's it's that old like you can never see God directly. You always have to speak to him for an intermediary, uh, like a Metatron in Jewish um, spirituality. And so, uh, so sometimes when we talk about Philip K. Dick and his obsession with God, we think of it in sort of the lay Christian sense of like, oh, I remember Sunday school. Oh, he likes God, and then you read a book and you're like, what? Um, <laughs> So yeah. it's important to, uh, and anyways, read a lot of them. We'll we'll know this stuff like the back of their hand because thankfully it's also very well discussed in Philip K. Dick's studies. But um, his notion of God is much more gnostic, um, and he was remarkably well read in like theology. So it's mm. uh, enhanced by a lot of that stuff. Um, but it's funny because like they literally he, in this book he literally is like maybe it's like the tibetan book of the dead <laughs> and it's like oh who <laughs> just expects you to know what that is um in, it's like in you've read that right like yeah. normal people they just read the tibetan book of the dead yes yeah. <laughs> in the late 60s just like assume you've read it so <laughs> yeah i mean it was kind of popular at the time, right? It probably had just been translated. I think didn't it did have a pop. My uh, my dad had a copy um, from the sixties uh, when Wasn't he like, when he um, picked it up. Yeah, wasn't Alan Watts involved in a translation? And he was yeah. kind of yeah. And um, so yeah, there was kind of but, like that kind of pop Zen thing at the time. So I think people maybe at least Philip K. Dick's ideal readers would have been. People who were people yeah. who were turned on the equivalent of 1960s online culture uh, would have known it. Um, yeah. And as much as Philip K. Dick is sort of a household name in certain spheres now, he never really had major commercial success until like very late in his career. Um, but I bring this up because Philip K. Dick's presentation of 
So we, we sometimes presume Gnosticism means you don't care about anything or you don't hold any, but this is one, it's not true. And two, it's never been true. Um, there, Do you mean nihilism? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I meant nihilism. I, I said the wrong word. Um, so we have this understanding of nihilism as like um, the zenith of, say, something like Zen Buddhism, in which you uh, divest yourself of all uh, passion. But that's not really what any um, conception of nihilism has, always, has been. Nihilism is less, uh, say, like an actionable philosophy. Um of what we can we can break the philosophical world into different chunks. There's stuff that maybe drives day-to-day action and there's stuff that informs our understanding. Um nihilism is more towards the understanding end rather than the actionable end. And it's more that this insight that there's no fundamental basis for any thought structure. That thought structures are things we impose upon the world, not something that we necessarily receive from the world. Um, and the awakening that you're supposed to have through that is something closer to, say, uh, Sartorian existentialism or something, which is that now in this void, um, by being void of a fundamental reality, we're also void of obligation, even in a moral sense. Um, but the upshot, uh, this also comes up when you hear someone mention that, say, like, Satanism is only for the strong and not for the weak. There's a couple chud ways that that can be meant, obviously, and we've all run into those types. But a more, um, a more eloquent way to phrase that is that if you're left in a void with no moral obligation, you are now infinitely responsible for what you do in that state. Because if you're you're no longer good because God told you to be good. You're no longer good because there is some fundamental golden science that says goodness is the correct way of action. You're being good and being compassionate because you are good and compassionate. And that terrifying edge of total responsibility sometimes freaks out even ardent leftists who want clings still to that theological notion that there must be some fundamental law or like metaphysical state that obligates us towards something like leftism when simply that doesn't exist. At some point you choose and you make that choice and you take responsibility for that choice, which is frankly fucking terrifying, but um, that's the kind of um, realm that Philip K. Dick also immerses say his characters in where they don't have an option to get out of the simulation. There's no fundamental reality for them to escape to. And once they abandon this pursuit and instead go, I am enmeshed in the simulation. I must act in some way. Mm -hmm. Um, The notion of unbounded action um, frightens us but it only frightens us because on some level we are ultimately devoid of the trust that say something like a leftist model of society obligates. And so we yearn for the negative image of say the policeman, even if it's a metaphysical policeman who says, if you don't do this, there is, um, I will keep you in line because on some level, even a lot of people who hold these thoughts fundamentally don't think people would obey them. 
We're just fucked. We would obey what? Like uh like a leftist praxis. That like we need the metaphysical cop nature in order to keep people in this uh action of like uh communal compassion or um communal justice or things like that. Are you talking about call out culture? Is that like a super um, simple way of saying it? That we need to be like in this uh little society like subculture where everyone's looking at everyone else keeping them in line well everyone's I, like... I i think that's an overly I, I i hesitate to put something specific like that on it because i think we all know the role that call out culture is attempting to fill and that it's a necessary role to fill because obviously communal um uh accountability is a necessary thing especially in say an ideal post police um left society that it is precisely communal accountability that would be taking the place of that and i think we all have complaints about the imperfection of current call-out culture but i also hesitate to just say that it's bad because it's like well no we need to like fix and improve it it's not yeah like it's closer to the right thing than anything else is right now yeah kind all right to go time. to to go back, um, <laughs> uh, you said a lot of stuff. Um, <laughs> I get I, flighty. <laughs> I've had my yeah. coffee. I'm in genius mode right now. <laughs> well, I think I think I disagree with you on certain things about what existentialism is, right? Because you Ooh. sort of were speaking specifically about the metaphysical aspects of existentialism and nihilism, um, but there are different aspects of them, and they're sort of a school of thought that doesn't apply to everything equally, right? Because you can have his, you can't really have historical nihilism uh, and be a leftist, in my opinion. You can't really have like moral nihilism and be a leftist, but you can have like existential nihilism or a sort of, you know, there can be sort of uh, metaphysical existentialism. Um, and I think they all apply differently. I think, you know, Hegel and Marx would disagree <laughs> that you can't have any sort of um absolute reality or that there absolutely is um sort of an absolute right well i think that so one this is one of the um bigger shortcomings of specifically hegel not not of dialectic but just of sometimes hegel's presentation of dialectic you mean um, it was like part of the function logical sense yeah um, part of part of the uh, fundamental power of something like dialectic is something that, uh, say, like Nietzsche and his critiques of Hegel brought up, which is that, and this is part of where um, I think you can even have a moral nihilism and be a functioning leftist, because the nihilism refers only to sort of the starting state, and it then presents it as morality is a set of uh, choices that you are making and the notion that say it is impossible to choose um, compassionate communal action in that void where there is no obligated moral response I think is something that we that we do to occlude from ourselves the nature of um, the nature of that choice or sometimes the terror of if I was given full option, what precisely would I choose? Um, unfortunately, I think we see this pretty often in 
the intense and uh, to be fair, sometimes justified venom that we see in uh, pursuit of justice. That it's not that venom is uncalled for, especially in certain like heinous situations. We all see that. Um, but this notion that we aren't axiomatic with these actions. And the whole purpose of something like dialectic is to go, okay, axioms as we know them are fundamentally way too simple to cohere to the world. And it's not necessarily that maybe there aren't at all axioms to work on, but if they exist, they're probably much more complex than something that we could just like say in two sentences um, oh, or sure. two e like easily digestible ones. So that's where I think that Hegel sometimes having this presumption that there is a fundamental worldness that is, and this is the important second part, that is accessible to the human mind, that we can access and comprehend easily. Um, I think that's perhaps a misplaced faith, but something like the tool of dialectic of it, that's sort of the... Um, like nihilism is something that you start in and then move out of, no, no one even practically stays within the bounds of nihilism because you have to respond to it at some point. Right. You're like, well, okay, if there's no, like, a, even a law can't stop a murder. I mean, we've seen this any number of times. Yeah. It doesn't stop malfaisance. But we respond to the fact that, like, okay, well, if we can't necessarily stop these um, actions or keep them from existing, then we need to find response to them and that's sort of the fundamental i think insight that um that right, and I provides think is... right and i think what's interesting about like um ubik <laughs> is is that it's it implies that you it's not necessarily that you can't know or, or, or that there is no actual reality that is happening because it gives you enough of a lead to hang yourself with it, right? Like you can start thinking about what is going on in the book Ubik, right? Like, because you have all of these concrete examples of, of material reality, but what phase it is in at any given point or who is really alive and who is not really alive is never clear. But you almost want to, believe that you can figure it out with the clues it's given you it's not saying that that multiple different things can be true at once exactly but that you just will never know <laughs> yeah it's uh i mean and it's the same thought that's uh paralleled with like robert anton wilson's work that um i mean we see this in more astute leftist thought of like we get this really cliche boring thing of like you either are the individualist or the community person and that's it. And no one, no one with two brain cells thinks that's the case. There's a perpetual tension state between say the particle form of the individual and the wave form of the community. Like you can't resolve it. It's, it's irresolvable. It remains in perpetual tension because that's what people in a society is. Um, likewise, we have that knowing slash unknowing tension state and like we'd love to resolve it i mean if there was a perfect nihilism that occluded all possible thought that would be fantastic but also that doesn't exist and if there was a perfect material philosophy that perfectly did away with the immaterial and the ungrounded that would be fantastic but we don't 
really have that. I mean, that's where we have like Derrida's injections into leftist thought of like, there is this like weird suffusion of immateriality, even in material, like ideology itself is this immaterial ghost-like form that propels us. And even say like a thrust towards um, like an anarcho-communistic future is one ultimately of faith. Like we can provide material basis for it and provide these strong argumentations for how it would be like tangibly, palpably better than the horrible, uh, like oppressive, capitalistic, patriarchal, racist, et cetera, et cetera, society that we're in. But on some end, there is that leap of faith bound up in it as well. And we can try Maybe, very hard. As someone, as someone who grew up like fundamentalist Christian, I don't really, I don't, I don't know if what, if we agree on the definition of faith, <laughs> well, like how, how are you using that word? Um, I'm, uh, I've, uh, ruined my brain with philosophy books, which is, I, I say that only half jokingly. It does make it so that you get trained to use words in ways that no normal person actually uses them, which yeah, I is, know. Uh, That's why I'm asking. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, faith in that space is just something that you can't materially or mechanically pin down 100%. Is that at some point you're like, I'm just betting that things will go this way. Um, that it may be even a very well-grounded bet, but sort of the, the statistically you're not shaking out to like a 100% certitude. So like a Kierkegaardian sense of faith? Yeah. Right, well, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> yeah, sitting in a chair is having faith in the chair. Like, I don't know, to a certain extent, it's a little like, I don't know if it applies. <laughs> like, it, 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 it's not it's not useful in your everyday life to go around being like, I have faith in like my phone that it's like not, I'm my hands not going to go through it. Right. Like I think there's a different kind of faith in like the idea that if we all organize, we'll have a revolution. Right. Then like that, you know, my coffee cup exists. And well, that's, that's also part of what I mean by these, um, these tension states is that, Obviously, the fact that no, we, we live day to day lives like that's sort of one of the big fundamental things I think in leftist thought generally is that mm -hmm. we can sit and pontificate and even should pontificate about broader social questions and social movements and revolution building and things like that. But ultimately, like until that day comes, we have to pay our rent so that we are not homeless because being put into positions of hunger or homelessness, even even if you don't personally care about having a roof over your head, it fundamentally causes stress that makes further organizing difficult. Like you can, even if you strike out the emotional, there's very clear, like it's a stressor that would make things much harder. And so then there's the problem of like, oh, that means that in my day-to-day -day life, I need to get a job in order to pay for rent, pay for food, all that kind of stuff. And balancing those tension states that like a right winger would be ultra flippant about and be like, Oh, you have a job in a society. And you're like, shut the fuck up, man. Um, but yeah. likewise so, we have on, Oh, you on. Uh, I was just going to say, so going back to Ubik, um, you were saying that you think that Ubik ungrounds you. Um, 
Yeah, because I think like, that Mount Eden of is, is the the opposite. Like, yeah, same. whenever I think um, that Ubik is about faith. So, yeah, like in the book, I, doesn't like every time Jochip uses Ubik. I mean, a yeah, it has that element of faith. It's like a product, and you use it, believing it will work. Some sort of uh, it will have some sort of effect, like any sort of consumer product, which is why he has all those um like adverts at the start of each chapter for Ubik. Um, but every time Joe Chip uses it in the book, it's always like to to um to like override like this intrusion into his reality from like the the Satan character um Jory or um mm-hmm. just him like like becoming unstuck in time or um it's like presented to him by Runciter as this kind of cure all for his um death yeah for his death so you, you have faith and you are cured from death it, it's basically it's your standard christian trope it's like well, um what was that thing like uh Slavoj Žižek said about jesus that um the whole point of jesus was he was like yeah he came to earth he died he got better and he was saying yeah. like hey it's, <laughs> it's just death don't don't sweat death it's you're just everyone's gonna die you'll be fine um that's kind of what Ubik is. It's like you're dead, but that's fine. You've got Ubik. You've got your faith. So mm-hmm. you're doing you're doing okay. Well, I, I, I guess my thought was more that. So we have the starting state of presumably a false reality that they are they are nonetheless grounded in that false reality that reality is not grounded but they are grounded into it and then ubik ungrounds them from that reality and places them into this broader sense of reality that is much much stranger and much much harder to grasp in which they can operate it seems that if they were to contemplate Ubik for too long, then they can only operate by faith. And it's half by disregarding some of the fundamental questions that the presence of U- the, even the very presence or existence of Ubik brings to mind. Can they continue to operate? And obviously, like, if your option is uh, existential paralysis or operational life, that second one is better because there's nothing even if the first one is maybe truer, it's not useful or good in any way. Um, well, I but... think that, I think that the, like the, the, the reality that they're in is, well, Ubik sort of keeps them in the reality. Um, that is, I guess, fake, but by sort of reminding them that they are, that they are half alive, right? Like that they are in the that they're in the fake reality. Because every time, every time he looks at the bottle of Ubik, it's like f- a message from the person who is supposedly alive, like outside of the world. Runs <laughs> There's this other um, Zizek quote. I'm full of I'm full of Zizek today. <laughs> About full the, of Zizek. Yep, just filled up to the eyeballs of Zizek. Um, Philip. Zizek. <laughs> Whoa. Um, but Zizek. When he, I think it was in one of his films, but he's talking about the Matrix. And he's talking about, you know, we have the the red pill that shows you the 
uh, that life is illusion. You've got a blue pill that lets you stay in the illusion. But there should be a third purple pill that shows you that the reality of the illusion. And I think that's right. kind of what Ubik is. Yeah. If you get what I mean. It, it shows you the, the, the fake world you're in is real in its way. It, 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 it reminds you of the, the fakeness of the world and that you're in a world that is, that is fake and it's, um, yeah, and, it's, it, and there is a bigger world out there. It and reminds I mean, they also me have of, like, oh, because M, okay, so <laughs> I feel like we need a, a, a slight, uh, a more concrete uh, synopsis where the boss runs it has an employee named Joe Chip, and he has a wife who's in Half Life, which is a suspended animation sort of life. He's keeping his dead wife alive, and she's going to be reborn. So apparently, there's this thing that exists in the world where you can take your consciousness and then put it into a baby and be literally born again. Um, and so at the end of the book, you find out that the wife has been in the half-life with the rest of the characters who are now dead or half dead. Um, and she is going to be reborn and she has to leave. <laughs> so Ubik gets you through, apparently to the point i mean they literally talk about the tibetan book of the dead so you have to imagine that it gets you through this sort of uh limbo into the next life right like it gets you through that and it and it, it is the faith that gets you to the next life right hmm. yeah like uh i think it in what is it, it's called a bardo state yeah the bardo yeah when you and kind of like the the state they're in is this like almost like a trial before they they've just got to keep on track to, in order to get into the like i think it's like a red smoky light of being reborn into a, another human body mm -hmm. and along the way you've got this uh jury guy who's like trying to literally eat them yeah yeah and he yeah he, his character is like kind of satanic but he's also just like a a thing that exists just to eat he's like a bacteria he's just this but um yeah, yeah he fills the role of the Qurans and the yeah the keeper right. was, at the gonna, threshold yeah i was i was gonna drop that reference but i thought no that's gonna go over people's heads we don't want to bring up like <laughs> Alistair look, Crowley at this point. Look, they're on, it's our podcast. <laughs> they have to listen to us. <laughs> yeah, but now we get it to Alistair Crowley. If you haven't read book four, why are you listening to this? <laughs> yeah, we, um, oh, shit, but we, yeah, Jordan. We've, we've, gone, we've gone full circle. We started off talking about Neo Folk. Now we're going to start talking about Current 93 again. Yeah. <laughs> look, Current 93 is fucking tight and not fascist. They're neo folk that isn't fascist. That's right. You don't have to. David Tibet is a hero. <laughs> I love his weird Christianity. I'm not religious <laughs> at all, but I look at it and I'm like, I could do this. This seems baller. <laughs> yeah. Um, Plus, the Invisible Church is such a sick record. It is very good. The Invisible Church. I love his terrible voice <laughs> and how he never sings. Never. <laughs> like, 
Do you think he knows like the tempo that the instruments are playing in behind him? Because sometimes the way that he's like half intoning, it seems like, man, you don't have a really sense of metrical time. And that's fine, because I love you. <laughs> if you were even slightly worse than how you are, I'd be bothered. So we have come full circle, and we have arrived at a point where we have redeemed Neofolk. Neofolk right. is good again. <laughs> we, we, Neofolk itself has gone through its own bardo stages, crossed, crossed the threshold past Karonzon and Nalafotep, and, you know, all those, all those weird gooey things. Um, and Neofolk has become good again. And reborn into the flesh of David Tibet. Yeah. It has yeah. been reborn into the flesh of Chelsea Wolfe. But Con well, no, she's opinion. <laughs> it's like uh, she's she's a bit problematic still, though. But um, Chelsea I think. Wolf? Oh, you, so you just want to so, spree today. You're gonna, you're gonna cancel, so, you're gonna cancel everyone. Chelsea so Wolf. I can I I can explain this one. I'm I'm less moved by this one, although I see um she basically presented a bunch of ideas that she wanted to do art wise for his spun. And one of them, an artist gave that, uh, she just gave them to an artist. And the artist depicted one as a black sun, but not like the oh, black on. sun. Yeah, yeah. And then people were like, that's Nazis. And I was like, a sun that is black is a bit too general, I think, to immediately go, that's the Nazi one. Especially when the design itself didn't mirror the black sun design at all. But Whatever. Oh, I'm just saying Sound, that's Sound, what the controversy is. Soundgarden is canceled for Black Hole Sun. <laughs> like, just for whatever, you can, we can value this in our own ways, but that's why some people are upset with her. I think that one's a little bit silly. I think that, I, I think it touches on one of the fundamental um, psychically scattering elements of the rise of fascism is the paranoia state, and that you're, um, it's beneficial to people to keep you in a paranoia state because it's exactly the same kind of thing of like the right wing paranoia about scare quotes terrorists, which are just any brown person or gender nonconforming person um, that they're going to terrorize you and destroy freedom and America. Yeah. Like, you know, like you are... Do you remember that uh, there was an article came out a few days ago by uh, Hannah Gase, who's like a really, really great researcher of like, the alt-right and fascism about like just these like 20 something kids working in like right wing but not like crazy nazi magazines stuff like the daily caller and they were all <laughs> not crazy nazis <laughs> yeah well you know they're, they're not like something like uh tacky's mag or like um whatever shit richard spencer's they they they're, they're mask on nazis yeah they're a mask off nazis but um go. they were all in there like um like in an email thread called like the morning hate and he had all these code words for Hitler and black people and Jews, obviously. And, you know, and th that um, article just made me even more paranoid that, you know, what if that's just the tip of the iceberg? You know, what if they've gotten into CNN and the New York Times and there are all these little, little cells within the mainstream media that are slowly turning things more Nazi? Oh, that's definitely true. Oh yeah, <laughs> I mean, Tucker, as I'd say, like Carlson is on television. As I'd say, like bad, bad news, Gareth. That's I, I mean, that's sort of the frustrating thing about something like uh, like 
QAnon or like Pizzagate or the Illuminati is that it's like one, the notion that um, even even the whole Russiagate thing, it's like. Is this stuff true? Almost certainly. If you have power, you seek to protect power. And if you have influence, you try to influence people to do the things you want them to do. This shouldn't be that that notion shouldn't be scandalizing. The the actions should be scandalizing and trying to limit and control that. But yeah, the notion that there are people it sometimes gets presented as this mind blowing thing, but it's like Right-wingers are evil. They're not necessarily stupid. They go like, media is a powerful tool. We should control that because controlling a powerful tool is useful. And people are like, holy shit, this blew my mind. What if they also think that? And it's like, holy fuck, how is everyone so stupid? (laughs) Or it's like, powerful people are using their power to hide their crimes. And I'm like, duh, we've been talking about that for thousands of years. (laughs) Like, this is the least new idea under the sun. And people are like, I don't know, sounds conspiratorial. I'm like, specific versions may be conspiratorial, but the general thought of like rich people meet behind closed doors to make uh, broad scale economic decisions outside of the eye of regulatory bodies. Um, we wouldn't have laws against that that people are then found guilty of if it doesn't happen. Um, and like, the weird uh, dark validation that Jeffrey Epstein's um, like nightmare Island is weird validation of fears of um, that wealthy people do probably bad thing or have the same bad impulses at the rate of non-wealthy people, but suddenly have the power to see them through and then wipe away any potential uh, punishment. Yeah, and again, we've we've come back to the start. It all comes back to Epstein. It always comes back to Epstein. Yeah, that's, that's where we are right now. Because Epstein was a weird... Learning about him and then having him die was feels like an, another kind of cultural point similar to 9-11, the uh, economic meltdown in 2008, like something like that. Hmm. Because we had them, we 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 had we had the one guy at the center of it all, and we just needed to get him to crack under pressure and name names, and all these awful people who are making our lives so much worse would have to go away. That would have to happen. It wasn't like the Panama Papers where it's like this boring, where it's like demonstrably awful, but it's also boring, and um, people don't really care about financial crimes. But if if it was like Trump and Clinton and Prince Andrew and all these people have been molesting children, the worst thing you could possibly do. And we finally got them for it. But no, cameras went off, guards went to sleep. Maybe. Allegedly. I mean, Jeffrey Epstein wasn't going to, I mean, that was never going to happen. <laughs> like, I know, but like, if there's some like beautiful the fucking, moment when you thought maybe it would, you know? The fucking FBI is not going to like arrest arrest trump for 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 the crimes like that's not gonna know it's just like that hope with russiagate or something that maybe this is the thing that's gonna stop all the baddies forever well and i i I fell into that hole i think i kind of did with russiagate for a little while for a few months i think the thing about i think the thing that's good about 
the Epstein case is that it is a revolution. It's a radicalizing uh, thing, right? Like, mm. it's like, look, yeah. this is happening. It, there's complete evidence for it. This isn't a conspiracy. They're admitting it. They like the fucking mm. liberal bourgeois um, organization is admitting it by arresting him and saying that he's been accused of and, and has been convicted of all of these things. We have the flight logs, but guess what? No one is going to do anything about it except for you. Mm. And unless 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 we all get together and say we are not going to stand for a world where these fucking a thousand dipshits get to like dam up all of the resources um, and just rape children <laughs> with impunity. Um, yeah, it's for at least for this, that um, that's a that's a thing you can put your finger on and be like, this is why a revolution is necessary. Hmm. This also touches back to a point that I was making specifically about, um, uh, so one of Nietzsche's life, uh, lives, uh, life's work works. I don't know how to phrase that. Um, whatever, you know what I'm saying? Um, was partly responding to claims of critics that he was a nihilist because he presented perhaps the most strident moral nihilism uh, thus far in the Western uh, philosophical canon. One of his biggest life projects was emphasizing that he was personally um, ardently against nihilism, and that's where a great deal of his anti-Christian and uh, more specifically sometimes anti-Buddhist sentiments. He wrote a lot of negative stuff about Buddhism that got sort of wiped away because right. when you're making a caricature of someone, weird granular details don't play nice. But one of the most pivotal aspects that he wrote about specifically of his <laughs> conception of what an Ubermensch is, is someone who's able to morally act, who witnesses a world. And like, it's this intense irony that one of the last things that he wrote is that like philosophy's bad for you. Go play sports and listen to music and live life. That's good for you. <laughs> like you'll learn how to be a good real person in the real world and will understand things more than the person who nominally actually understands them better because understanding can paralyze you and the world doesn't need paralyzed people. Okay. Yeah. So, so this is a interesting, have you ever seen the movie, the Turin horse? Yes. No, that, I love okay. that movie. So the movie Bellatar's the masterpiece. So the, it is his masterpiece. Um, even better than Satan Tango, I think, which is also yeah. good. But for um, Gareth, who hasn't seen it, um, and probably the listeners, um, it's a movie about... So if you don't know, um, Nietzsche supposedly um, saw a horse being beaten by a man in the street and went and hugged it and stopped the horse from being beaten by the driver and uh, cried a lot and then like basically went insane and never spoke again. I don't know if that's entirely true. Um, yeah, you probably know. Like very not true. I heard that was a, a fake news. Okay. But then the movie is that horse from that legend um, goes back to its family. Um, and they sort of are these peasants who live in a hut. Um, and they, um, are, are living in this world where they're just like trying to make money and eat potatoes and slowly the world is going away around them. <laughs> like they realize at a certain part that 
out a hundred miles away from their house, there's just darkness. Um, and they're sort of dealing with this world that's slowly collapsing in on them. Um, and it's an incredible movie. <laughs> but that's it kind of I'm, I'm it, gonna watch that like tonight. That sounds it, exactly what I want. It came out when I was in the midst of my like bleakest depression state, and I watched it and like had uh like this darkling epiphany. It was like this like light and anchor for me. Um because it the same way that Nietzsche was years earlier for me. Um uh, basically the response to that paralysis state. It it was your Ubik. Yeah. <laughs> well that, that but, brings... but that's where I can I try to occlude that bit when I talk about like my personal testimony of the motivating power of nihilism, because that puts a bit too much emotional weight on it. If someone has to then tell me that my personal lived experience is wrong and I'm like, that's not fair. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think that that film uh, just like Ubik testifies that nihilism is a methodology of understanding, but understanding is not even step one. That's step zero of uh, living and being because when, once you're born, you don't get to opt out of being um, except through death. That's the only way to opt out. So if you're not inclined to do that for any reason, you now must act. That's the even non-action is a type of action. And so it's then when you are forcefully enmeshed in beingness. What, what now? <laughs> um, and that's where um, Ubik presents a very strange lesson and strange thought of maybe reality is much bigger and stranger than we can necessarily grasp very easily, um, but you don't need necessarily to grasp all of it. Um, right. That's not strictly speaking okay necessary. Yeah. Um, and it's not wrong to strive for that, but it's um, he offers the same kind of warning hand that any like, and this is where we get even like in Gnostic texts and in like hokey fantasy novels, the like the wizard who pursues something and goes mad. They're specifically talking about that kind of nihilistic insight and the way that it can start unraveling from the edges, like everything you're thinking. If you dive in too deep and don't dive in with that sort of Nietzschean fervor of I myself am the vessel of self entering the abyss in order to blank. Um, Weirdly enough, Ghost is actually the band is very articulate on this point. <laughs> They're like <laughs> conspicuously well spoken on just that. Um yeah. like the song the song Spirit uh, off of Meliora, the opening track, is like a very like direct statement of that. And their um functional image of Satan is the figure who can exist uh in burning light within the void. Um weirdly smart uh for like hokey fun rock music but um yeah. but i think so like a one, one thing i wanted to bring up about ubik uh before we uh, move on from ubik um is um there's this there's this point where uh joe chip is stuck in 1939 in the half world before he realizes it's a half life um and he he's like i guess we could just stay here like it's not really that big of a deal right and then I mean, it's like we're kind of still living. Um, and uh, then he says, 
he meets this guy who is like, what do you think about the war? And, and the, and the guy says, he's like, those common communists are the real menace, not the Germans take the treatment of the Jews. Uh, and he basically is like making an excuse for the Nazis and, and sort of reminding Joe chip, who's like in the future, way past this saying like, Oh yeah, America is really racist. I forgot. <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and inspired and supported the Nazis. Um, which was so weird to read in 2019. Um, yeah, and so, so interesting to read because they, you know, it made me wonder what exactly, uh, Philip K. Dick's politics were, which I've never really thought about. They seem to be good. I mean, there's a point where, I mean, A, there's a prominent black character who's like pretty good, you know, and like Joe Chip mentions never having heard the N word before in his entire life. Yeah. And he lives he's in never like heard 1992. It. So I think Philip K. Dick at least imagined that civil rights, which had been happening all around him while this has been written. Um, at least he imagined that that would, wouldn't be a problem in the same way like Star Trek does. Um, so at least in, in those sense, he was, he was pretty right on. Uh, in other senses where he like, informed the FBI that Marxist intellectuals were talking to him. Uh, pro probably not the best <laughs> practice there. Um, so his second wife was a prominent socialist and uh, was a very active uh, uh, left-winger. Interesting. Yeah. Cleo uh, Apostolides. Cool name, too. I mean, do you think he was, like, lucid enough to be understanding that uh, later in his life? Yeah, he was even... He he, he was shockingly lucid even in his uh, most out state. Like, if you read The Exegesis, which is really long and very aimless because it was a personal journal, obviously, um, you get... Yeah even these like really startling moments of lucidity, um, which seemed to hint towards the sort of common understanding that he was having a, uh, like a schizotypal break in which he yeah. would have like these waves of like, ah, shit, I'm crazy. Ah, fuck. Right. <laughs> like, ah, fuck. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. He, even that was, um, much later in his life than the, uh, like his relationship with the second wife, which was in the like fifties into the very early sixties, I think. Mm -hmm. I can double check that real quick. No, no, I can't find the dip. It would take too long. Whatever. Um, but it is pretty interesting Google... that, that this book sort of like even within like a, a a fictitious world that is spoiler alert made by jory who is the little child who's like sort of the representation of like a demon or death um like it still holds like that factual nature <laughs> um of of america being incredibly racist and fascist um back then um yeah, I, and and i guess ideally not in the future he's dreaming of in the 60s hmm. yeah i mean like the politics of this book we could probably talk about for another episode because i think there's a whole like Mark Fisherian um, critique of capitalism going on here with all these like um, doors that require five cents to open and your toaster doesn't work unless you give it money. And everything is just, and everything is just that slightly bit more anxiety making and everything, every object is rent seeking hundred percent of the time. Like Mark Fisher talks about that, like capitalism 
being this like anxiety and depression machine for like and everything is just that little bit worse than it needs to be being like a, a feature of the system not a bug so yeah uh people at home think about that and read ubik please it's but, very good um, we we gotta we gotta wrap it we gotta, yeah. we gotta wrap this up so um we're gonna end the episode by playing one of Bryn's musical numbers so oh, cool. yeah do you want to uh tell people about your band and what this um and this particular track uh puritans yes um so it's funny because i should have told you guys that i'm in a sort of industrial swans pig fuck type of band <laughs> that is oh, not fun, as, yes that is not as <laughs> popular cool as this other band but I, I okay so this band is sort of my sort of more personal project that i don't generally um advertise as much um my my sort of the band that i play with a lot out that we go on tours with and stuff is called stay inside and that's on Bandcamp. that's a more screamo kind of stuff um and it's good it's it's real fun and we're releasing our full-length album um later this year hopefully um in the in the winter um but this out uh, this band is called vi vyy sort of it is the word vi like two vi but just spelled wrong um mm -hmm. and uh this song uh i think we'll probably hear the last song on the album which is my personal favorite one um called De death of imagery yeah um it's pretty long <laughs> um but that's because we're very influenced by like swans and shit mm -hmm. um so yeah it's um i did all of the the drum tracking and and bass and we recorded it with colin um colin marson from kralis and dysrhythmia and stuff nice um so it's a lot of fun um, awesome hope you like it and uh sorry sorry go on <laughs> oh no um yeah i also have a podcast called bp bledis um, I do a show for um, Means TV called Left Trigger. So if you want to watch me play video games, you can do that too. Okay, I wasn't informed you're a gamer. Um, I'm going to have to delete this episode. I'm sorry for wasting <laughs> your time. I, I can't endorse your lifestyle. That's... I'm so sorry. <laughs> I understand. I know it's a, it's a, it's a disease. Yeah. But uh, yeah, seriously, though, mean, Means TV have been producing a ton of cool stuff. Uh, they're kind of like the left tv network now trying but, uh, to be on youtube on youtube so it, yeah it's cool mm -hmm. that you're um you're doing stuff with them because they're really really awesome yeah i like them yeah i like them those dudes and girls a lot so mm -hmm. yeah you're doing like two bands a podcast and streaming and that's really really awesome right and i have so, a regular life but yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's all yeah. that's all my hobbies who, who needs a regular life like we, we got like four or five years left um <laughs> right may as well try and get get us all crammed in you know have right. five different projects maybe one will get out before uh before it gets too hot i uh, i hope to uh as the earth begins to heat go full canticle of Leibowitz. um except i will only be crazy so I'll be a monk who lives in the <laughs> desert and keeps books but they'll all only be insane or just gibberish that's going to be me. That's an important bit character in these dystopias. And I think too many people want to be the hero or the person who gets killed by raiders. But I want to be the crazy monk who they're like, oh, he's addled. Mm. 
Mm. That's yeah, me. That that's cool. my role. I like that. You're guy. right, dude. No. I'm. Uh, I was that's... born for this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I'm gonna die in the first wave. I've decided. <laughs> I'm gonna be like uh, Sarah Connor in Terminator Two, just like in a park, just like. <laughs> <laughs> gripping, gripping a fence and just <laughs> yeah. evaporated by a bomb. There's a park right by my house. It's got good gripping <laughs> fence, good, really, really solid, solid fence I can grip onto. Can, yeah, that's so, all your flesh is blasted away. Yeah, exactly. As soon as I hear like a ooh, it could be a bomb. I just run You're out. Just gonna sprint grab the that fence. fence, grab that fence hard, and you know, just. That's going to be how I go. Aesthetically, it's a very pleasing way to go. But um, yeah, so uh, come back next week uh, for we don't know yet. Got to work it out. And um, we love yeah. mystery. Yeah, it could be a mystery book. We don't know. Um, but uh, go to uh, patreon.com slash death sentence for, for more. And uh yeah, and but come back next week. I'll rate us on iTunes and all that business. But yeah, I gotta you, do that. Well, you can. Yeah, I wouldn't not encourage it. But um, uh, yeah. But in the meantime, check out a band that I'm only just being informed exist. Vi out of Brooklyn, New York, and the song "Death of Imagery." <laughs>